You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. John tells us that love is of God. So in other words, love is from God and it flows out from God. And we as Christians, if you think about this then, should jump at the opportunity and privilege to be more like God, right? I mean, isn't it God's intention, right? For us to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us repeatedly that we're to love one another. If you're like any other person, chances are you're well aware that it isn't always easy to love certain individuals. However, we're no less called to love such people. But why do we have to? As Pastor Mike will teach you in his message today, we're first and foremost called to love because love is of God. In his study, you'll learn what it means to love others as Christ loves us, and how doing so transforms us into the very likeness of Christ. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4, as he begins his message, Choose to Love. What does John mean when he exhorts us to love one another? What does that mean? We hear a lot about love in our Christian experience, right? There, there's so many messages that are delivered on this, about the subject of, of love. So what is John referring to here when he exhorts us to love one another? Well, basically, we are to be manifesting in our lives with one another and in our attitude towards one another Everything that we read about love that is recorded for us in the greatest chapter that addresses that subject, which, of course, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, you're probably very familiar with that text of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You see it engraved on plaques that people hang on their walls that are sold in Christian bookstores, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it goes on to, in great detail, tell us what love uh, is, what love looks like, how it's demonstrated. Well, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, particularly in verses 4 through 7, uh, we are exhorted that we are not to be puffed up. This is one of the ways that we manifest love one towards another. We're not to be puffed up as we relate to one another, you know, to think more highly of ourselves than another individual. Uh, we're not to uh, be easily uh, provoked towards uh, anger towards another individual. We're not to think evil of anybody. We're not to rejoice 
and evil about other people. Like, for example, if uh, you know, uh, we become aware of a fact uh, that someone has done something that they shouldn't have done that is totally inconsistent with their Christian profession, you know, we take joy in that, that, that they've gotten busted. Well, we're not to uh, have that kind of an attitude towards uh, another person. And uh, so everything that we read about love there, that's recorded first in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are to hope for the best in other people. So loving one another is to love like that. So loving one another is to love like that. And not only those whom we happen to like, <clears throat> but even those whom we dislike. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. And uh, this is where this kind of an occupation becomes a little bit more difficult. But that is the test of a true Christian. You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 46. If you love them which love you, what reward have you? And then he goes on to declare, I mean, even the tax collectors do that, right? And uh, those were the folks that were on the low rung of the totem pole within that culture and within that society. So this is not difficult to love people that are lovable. Anybody can do that. But again, where the rubber meets the road is loving those who we dislike. That's difficult. So the whole test of the Christian is to love the difficult person and to manifest 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with the trying person as well. Now, it's at this point where someone may be thinking, well, wait a second, John is talking about loving the brethren. He's talking about loving our brothers and sisters. So I thought then that this exhortation applies only uh, to them. And if we're talking about Christians, how could a Christian brother or sister you know, be trying for us or unlovable? Well, remember, Christians are imperfect, right? And there are things about us that are irritating to other people. And, uh, and you know this to be true. There are things that shouldn't be a part of our makeup, but guess what? They're there and they're present. Remember, we're all under construction, right? And we come into the church and we're all, uh, you know, we bring a lot of excess baggage, as I always refer to it in that way, along with us. And we're working out our salvation. We're not perfect. There are things that need to be dealt with. God is dealing with those things in our lives. And this is where patience, sympathy, understanding needs to come into play. So John then is basically asking these believers who he's writing to, here in his epistle, as well as to us this evening, to help one another, to bear with one another, not to be antagonistic towards one another, and not to be irritated for whatever reason. So if you see your brother at fault, what then should we do? Well, we should rather pray for them than, than giving them a hard time. We should try to help them. We should be sorry for them instead of feeling it is something that is hurting you. You know, a lot of the things that are manifested in a person's life, you know, the things that are inconsistent with Christianity, are just a part of that person's life's experience. And maybe some trauma had taken place within their lives. And uh, they're very angry, right? And again, this is just a part of the excess baggage that they bring along with them into the church. 
Remember, the church is a hospital where people come to get well. Jesus is the great physician, and he's the one who, who treats all of those symptoms that are vexing people. Uh, we need to be there for them. We need to help them. So instead of feeling it, it is something that is hurting you, we need to try to help them. And uh, we just need to understand that that's a, a product of their upbringing or their life's experience. We need to see it as something that is hurting him terribly and doing him great harm and robbing him or her of so much joy in their Christian life. That's the way that we should see one another. That's the way that we need to view one another. That's the way that we need to relate to one another. So rather than jumping all over a person who may be giving you a bad time, you know, or whatever, you know, how about like just maybe going to that person away from the rest of the body of Christ and, and uh, you know, ask him a couple of questions. You know, you know, what's going on in your life? Why does it seem like you're so angry? Is there something that I can do to help? Is there something that I can pray for you about? Just be there for that person. And in doing that, we can actually love him out of that funk, whatever that happens to be. Now, isn't that a refreshing and yet at the same time unusual response and approach to dealing with one another? But that's the way that we are to treat one another. That's the, one, that's the way that we are to relate to one another. And in fact, in doing that, you may even be able to teach that person a lesson, right? You know, maybe they've never received love from another person before. But shouldn't they expect to find it within the church? You know, maybe they've gotten beaten up in their life's experience by the people who were supposed to really care for them and love them. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a brother or a sister or a member of their immediate family or whatever. So where should they find this kind of love, this attention, this healing? It should happen within the church. It should take place within the church. Okay, so now John gives us, so that sort of sets the stage. This, this is where we're going. This is what we're talking about. Okay, so now John gives us three definite reasons why we are to love one another. And by the way, let me also add that, yes, the person that we are loving is the recipient and the benefit of that action, but it also is of great value to us as well. We also benefit from allowing God to work his work within our lives and to help us to become a loving individual. Okay, so three definite reasons why we are to love one another. The first of which is, and we hear this all the time, right? Christians are supposed to love one another, but why? Why are we supposed to love one another? Well, the first reason, let's go back to our text there in verse 7. John tells us that love is of God. So in other words, love is from God, and it flows out from God. And we as Christians, if you think about this then, should jump at the opportunity and privilege to be more like God, right? I mean, isn't it God's intention, right? for us to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, who demonstrated the greatest example of love in laying down his life for us, dying in our place on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. 
So we as Christians should jump at the opportunity and privilege to be more like God, right? I mean, that's why we are members of this body. That's why we've joined the church. This is one of the reasons why we've given our lives to Christ, so that we can, in fact, be more like God. And again, the chief characteristic, if you're going to list all of the different characteristics, and there are so many, but at the very top of the list, you have to say concerning God, God is love. And in fact, that's what the Bible teaches. It simply says God is love. Now, let me also add that this would be an absolute impossibility before Christ's coming. An absolute impossibility before Christ's coming. That is loving the person who's irritating, the person that you have nothing in common with, the person that really, in your estimation, is unlovable. You see, this kind of love is something new that is given to the church through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, this this word love that's translated into our English word love in the New Testament is not a classical Greek word. It's the Greek word agape, and it's a word that was coined for New Testament usage. It didn't even exist before the New Testament times. It was literally coined for New Testament uh, use. And by the way, that's, that was the purpose in Paul writing 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. So that, the, that the, the people that he was writing to would understand what that love looks like, how it's demonstrated, because they didn't have a clue. And so that's the reason why and the value in studying that particular chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So you get an understanding of what agape looks like and how it's demonstrated. It belongs to the New Testament. So if you think about that in relationship to today and what the world considers love, the world's view of love is so debased. It's so carnal. It's so fleshly. But the love John is speaking about here and is recommending to us is something that comes from God. It is something he is doing. And as we love, we are proving we are of God. We are doing something that God is doing. Think about that, if that's his chief characteristic. He's manifesting his love. He's exercising his love through us to other individuals. And that's the reason why he begins. He says, love is of God. An absolute impossibility to demonstrate this kind of love that is, uh, we're called to exhibit apart from the person of Jesus Christ. So how foolish we are not to rise to the great height of our calling. So let us love, then, as God loves. So that, that's the first reason why we are to give ourselves to this occupation. The second reason for loving is that it is the evidence of our new birth. Go back to verse 7 again here in our text. Notice what it says. John tells us everyone who loves is born of God. In other, way, in other words, it validates the fact that we are born again of the Spirit of God, that we have gone through a conversion experience. You see, what finally makes us Christians is that we are born again. It is not some intellectual proposition 
It's something that, you know, we have to muster up and, you know, we wrap our heads around it. Okay, now we understand it and, and we're doing it in our own strength and our own power. It's not some intellectual proposition. It is not that we are defenders of the faith, although we are. It's not because we are strictly orthodox or that we are highly moral and ethical. It is not that we do a lot of good. That those things do not make us Christians. The one thing that makes us a Christian is that we are born of God, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Do you see the correlation between the two? We have to be experienced. We have to be partakers of that divine nature to love the way that we're being instructed to love here by John. And nothing short of that. And here's the thing that proves, in fact, if you've been born again. You see, only those who are born again can love like this, because no one else can. You have to go through this whole process of being born again of the Spirit of God. There's no way. You'll always fail. Now, you know this to be true. This is a common experience for all Christians who are born again of the Spirit of God. There's a, there's a real intense interest in other people, particularly in the lives of your brothers and sisters. We were talking about this in one of our recent studies. In fact, in this whole section of John's epistle, he's addressing the subject of, of loving uh, one another. You know, when you become aware of the fact that someone is in need, you want to be there for them. If, in fact, you can provide some help, well, then you're more than happy to do so, right? You can't just walk away from your brother, you know, you just can't, like, say, you know, become aware of something that's going on in a person's life and, you know, just uh, respond by saying, okay, brother, you know, I'll be praying for you, be warmed and be filled, and then you turn your back on them and walk away. There's something within us whereby we gravitate to those people. It may happen in a, you know, in a, a before a service where we're sitting in our seats and or someone in the row before us is talking to another brother or sister and they're rehearsing some of the things that are going on in their lives and, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, man. You know, I might be able to be the solution and answer to their problem. Maybe I can help. And then at the end of the conclusion of the service, you say, you know, I, you know I, I'm sorry, I wasn't eavesdropping on you, but, you know, I heard you express some of your needs, things that are going on in your life, and, you know, maybe I can help. We gravitate to that person. You can't help it. It's just a part of our Christian experience, right? It's just who we are now because it's God in us. We're partakers of the divine nature. The natural man, the person who isn't born again, is outside of the life of God. In fact, the truth be told, they belong to the world. The murderous spirit of Cain is in them. They're not concerned. Before I was a Christian, I wasn't concerned about it. I was, it was all about me, what I can get, what I can receive, my advancement. I wasn't concerned about other people. I had enough problems of my own without being concerned about other people, right? But if I'm born of God and his nature is in me, then this love is also in me. Folks, it's like proof positive. It's like the ultimate evidence, in fact, that we are born again of the Spirit of God. So let me ask you, do you feel any love within you towards the person 
you naturally dislike. And there are people, the truth of the matter is that it is a little bit harder to love than other people. And there may be someone who's like, you don't have anything, absolutely nothing in common with that person. And in fact, when you're around that person, the things that come out of their mouths sort of irritate you. But remember, this is a hospital, right, where people are coming to get, to get well. So do you feel any love within you towards the person you naturally dislike? And there are going to be people that you're going to, that's going to be your first response. That person who is so irritating and can be, in certain respects, so harmful to you. Maybe they're, real, they're on the attack towards you, and it's really hard. But nevertheless, you need to ask yourself the question, is there compassion? Is there pity? Is there prayer? That's what love does. If you're born of God, you must feel this way. Now listen, I understand that, you know, this is a process, okay? This is a part of regeneration, sanctification, It's the work of God's Holy Spirit within your life. If you're not this kind of a person yet, or at least you're, you know, working towards it, you're making progress, you know, make this a part of your prayer life. You know, this would be a great prayer to pray. You know, God, help me to be a more loving person. God, give me your heart. God, help me to see people the way that you see them. You know, because we we never know what's going on in in the heart and the mind of another person, the way that they're acting. You know, our first response would be like, oh, man, you know, like, get away from me. I don't want to have anything to do. You know, who needs this? You know, have you ever been in a situation where maybe uh, you've seen a person, maybe they've just recently joined the church or they've only been coming for a short period of time? And and, uh, so, you know, you want to make a connection with that person. So you walk up to them and say, hey, how's it going? And all of a sudden, man, they just lay all of this heavy, heavy stuff on you, and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm really sorry that I even asked, you know, kind of a thing. And you're looking away from, to get away from the conversation and walk away to excuse yourself, right? You know, how about when you leave praying for that person, right? So ask God to enlarge your heart, to give you his heart, to see that person the way that God sees them. Because only God really knows what's going on in the insides of a person, right? But let us have compassion. Let us have pity. There's a reason why they are acting the way that they are acting. They might be angry. There's so many different ways that, you know, this is revealed in a person's uh, life. So if you're born of God, you must feel this way. And then lastly, John tells us that to love one another, and this is another reason why we are to love one another, to love one another is evidence of spiritual knowledge. Go back to our text in verse 7. John tells us that everyone who loves knows God. So don't tell me that you know God and you're not loving your brothers and sisters, that you're not a loving individual. It doesn't line up. It's inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day. 
and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart not be troubled. I remember.